For our study this afternoon, let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark, the 14th chapter. While you're turning, let me say that we appreciate you being here this afternoon. And I want to uh, tell you how much we appreciate our invitation and their ti- our time together with you this week. Uh, if I could give you any exhortation, I would tell you. And we'll tell you that uh, continue to love each other as brethren, continue to cleave to each other as family. Uh, I think it's amazing when we see God's people come together through trials, through uh, heartaches and through losses and uh, stick together and be closer as a brother, closer than a brother, to be friends with each other and uh, to share the same lineage in our Heavenly Father. I'm thankful that I've got to spend this time with you, Robin and I, and uh, we appreciate your hospitality. You've welcomed us in your homes, and uh, we have thoroughly enjoyed it, and we have been made the better for being here. We want you to know that. Appreciate uh, so much Carrie and Cheryl and uh, their children and uh, the welcome that we have received in their home this week and for the sacrifice that they have made in particular. They've had to put up with us. Uh, in many ways, and uh, they've endured. I guess you didn't have much of a choice, did you? But, but you've endured, and we appreciate it, and, and uh, we loved you before we came, and we love you more now. I want you to know that. This afternoon, let's uh, look at the Gospel of Mark, the 14th chapter. We'll read a few verses here. After two days was the feast of the Passover, and of unleavened bread, and the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, he said at meat, There came a woman, having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always." She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of her for a memorial of her. Now, if you will, let's turn to the gospel of John. I would like to take the time to read John's account of this uh, incident too. In the gospel of John chapter 12. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, 
Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Jesus called the anointing of his feet by Mary of Bethany a good thing. His verdict was it was a good work. She hath done what she could. I don't know how we always look at the works that we do and the things that we do. Sometimes we look at other people's work, I know this, and we deem what they've done as a waste. I believe that the world would look at what you are doing here in this congregation and much of the world would say it's a waste of time. There's no profit to be had in it. There's no value. After all, you think about it, you and I, uh, we, we could be somewhere else. We could be in the comfort of our homes and watching a ball game or whatever. And many people would look at what we're doing here this afternoon of thinking about this incident as it occurred as a foolish waste of time. In that day, when Mary of Bethany anointed the feet of Jesus with this precious ointment, there was one character I know that was in the assembly, and we read about him, his name Judas Iscariot, that looked at that incident and said, it's a waste. This ointment could have been sold and could have been given to the poor. Now, Judas looked at this verdict, and he made a verdict of this, of this incident, and he said, it's a waste of time. And it's a waste of money. But Jesus looks at it and says, she's wrought a good work on me. How will we, what will we take? Will we take the verdict of Judas or will we take the verdict of Jesus? I think that we'll take the verdict of Jesus. If anyone knows what is a good work and what is, uh, would be considered to be a beautiful action, it would be Jesus. After all, he is the source of all goodness, is he not? If anyone knows anything about what is good, it would be Jesus. So I can take Judas's verdict and I can say, Judas, you are misled. Jesus knows what's good and what's not. Many people today would take our actions and deem them as a waste of time. A person like Judas. Now Jesus called him a thief. Judas held the purse. He was the treasurer of the group. And Jesus called him a thief. But you know, a thief, a person with that kind of mentality... They look at things with a warped vision to begin with. And Judas certainly looked at this action with a warped vision. Uh, I believe that one thing that warps our vision more than any other is selfishness. If I am so tuned to myself, then all of my vision that I see with other people and their actions, it's always warped. It's always a distorted view. If everything that happens is about me, and that's all I'm concerned about is me, 
then I'm going to have a warped vision about what you do. Because everything that uh, you do is not going to be about me. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, we've gotten the idea that we're important. Now, I know that God loves us, and I know that we're important to him, and I know the value of our soul, and we've spoken on that this week. But, uh, you know, it's not all about us. And it certainly wasn't all about Judas. And Judas was not even being honest. He, his, his warped vision was so much that he said, I'm going, to, uh, I, I'm going to put forth this idea. This could be sold for the poor and given to the poor. And, and the scripture plainly says that Judas was not concerned about the poor. It was all about him. He wanted the money. Somewhere along the way, we've gotten the idea that a lot of things that happen to us in life is all about us. It's not. It's not. And we're not that important. So we need to quit looking at events and actions in relation to how we think and how we feel. Because if it's all about us and it's not all about the Lord, then it becomes a warped vision. But it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about leading people to Jesus. It's all about pointing lost souls to Christ. It's all about him. And if I can sacrifice just a little bit of myself so that it can be all be all about him, then I won't fall into the trap of Judas. I'll be more like Mary. For with Mary, when she sat down at the feet of Jesus, it was all about him. We look at these actions like Mary of Bethany and anointing this uh, Jesus' feet with the oil, and we admire it, but we might fail to see the beauty of it. We might see, fail to see the value of it. I think a lot of people look at the Christian's actions and they may admire some of the actions. They, a lot of people actually admire the honesty that is involved in Christianity. Uh, Regardless of whether you believe the doctrinal precepts of Christianity, you admire some of the moral qualities of it. And that's why a lot of religious organizations can continue to propagate and grow. And some of them even make a business out of it. Because they're selling honesty. But you know what makes something beautiful in the sight of God? Judas saw this as something ugly and a waste. Jesus saw it as something beautiful, something that is good. And what about your actions and my actions? What makes them acceptable in God's eyes? Let's look at this for a moment in light of these questions and find out why Mary was praised by the Lord. When Mary anointed the Lord... She was not seeking simply a place in the limelight. She was not selfishly struggling to have herself remembered, even though that is the result of her actions. You and I are remembering her this afternoon. 
And Jesus said we would. But what made her deed good in the sight of God? I want to present to you a couple of three things. Number one, motive. We can question what we do and why we do it, and we can always put the question, what is my motive? Is my motive good? Is it pure? Why am I doing this? Mary's motive was not one of seeking the limelight and not one of seeking claim to fame and all of this. But the Bible straight up, it plainly states that she did it because she loved him. And I'm here to tell you this afternoon that no matter what action you do, no matter how good it may be determined by the world or how Waste of a time it is. Whatever deed that you do and whatever work you do for the Lord, if it's not driven from love, then God will not deem it as profitable and good. Can we prove that? I think we can. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, profiteth me nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, if I don't have love, profits me nothing. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and if I don't have love, it profiteth me nothing. All motives of service to God must be driven from a love for Him and a love for His people. So Judas was lacking because he lacked this motive that Mary had, and that motive was love, love for the Lord. Jesus put it this way. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, how do I love the Lord? I can't see him. I can't feel him. I can't touch him. I can't talk to him like I'm talking to you. How can I love him? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Our obedience to the Lord must be one out, driven out of love. Now, I'm one of these old-fashioned person, I guess, and, and uh, from the old school and from the old school of the Bible, I want to tell you something. I fear God. And I serve Him, and I came to Him out of fear. I don't want to go to hell. And I fear him because he holds all power and all might and all strength over all things. So I fear him. But I will stay with him because of love through obedience to him. You will serve God through love. And the love will prompt obedience. This uh, I serve God or I love God. Through my service. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The man who says that he loves God but yet is disobedient does not love God. He may have some uh, feeling or some emotion, but he doesn't love God. For Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
Every deed, no matter how seemingly fair it may be or how ugly, when we realize that it is of a mean and impure motive, automatically becomes distasteful. Take, for instance, let's look at Judas for a moment and his motive. And let's, let's change the action from this, uh, from this anointing the feet of Jesus with oil to the betrayal of Jesus. Now, Judas comes to us as one in history and biblical history of the, one of the most distasteful people that's ever lived. Uh, he is the one who betrayed the Lord. He betrayed him with a kiss. Well, a kiss is a pretty thing. <laughs> well, one of the happiest days of my life is when the preacher told me I may kiss the bride. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good thing. And if Judas had come to Jesus, and if he had said, Lord, and kissed him, I love you, and I'm going to die with you, if that's what it takes, and I'll stick by your side no matter what, and they put you on trial, they're going to put me on trial. Do you realize that if he had done that, then that kiss would have turned into one of the most beautiful actions of history. But his motive was not love, and it's not driven from love. It was a lovely action, but it turned out to be an ugly deed. His motive was one of betrayal. And everybody knows that Judas betrayed our Lord with a kiss. And that action has become an impure action and a, uh, an example of impurity throughout time. So it would be safe to say that no deed, no matter how small or how large it is, if it's done without love, it becomes an ugly deed. There's another reason, too, I believe, that Jesus applauded Mary of Bethany. And that was because of the recklessness of it. You see, recklessness in giving is a good thing. She came and she took the alabaster box and she poured it all. All of it. Judas sits back and he says, that's reckless, that's a waste. She gave it all. I love to get into a discussion over somebody and they say, do you believe in tithing? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. You, but I don't believe in 10%. I believe in 100%. <laughs> I think we need to give it all. I think we need to approach and, that everything that, God ha that we have is God's. So in the terms of tithing that they present, they see real quickly that uh, I don't believe in the 10% tithing and that we're not living that way. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 tells us that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. What are we giving and how are we giving it? Are we giving it like Ananias and Sapphira? And holding back from God and trying to deceive God into making him think we're something when we're not. 
Are we giving like Mary of Bethany? Sometimes we just need to be reckless in our giving of ourselves, and sometimes we just need to give of ourselves when it doesn't make sense, when it would make a whole lot more sense to everybody else just to hold back a little bit. But Mary, she didn't give that way. When she went in and she knelt before the Lord and she anointed his feet, she poured it all. She gave everything. A lot of times we've gotten the idea that we're sacrificing for God. Well, I go to church. Sometimes I even go on Wednesdays. I'm sacrificing for God. Are you really? You know, I got a buddy back home and uh, our company does meals on wheels. There for the, and they, they'll go out to the elderly people, they'll do that. And he tells me, and he doesn't go to church uh, very regular at all, anywhere, I don't think. But he tells me, he said, boy, I just love to do that. He said, that's a, good, that's a, that's a great sacrifice. This company's paying him to do this, first of all. He's on, he's on the clock when he's doing it. Secondly, I told him, I said, you enjoy it? He said, yeah, I enjoy it. Love to meet those people. I said, you know, that's great. I said, I'm so glad that you enjoy that. Why don't you try doing something you don't like? That's a sacrifice. People talk about me sacrificing, you know, and, and coming and, and teaching God's word. I, I really don't view it as much of a sacrifice because it's my passion. It's, it's what we, that's who we are, my wife and I. That's what, that's what, we, that's what we do. It's what we always, I can't change that. It's who we are. Sacrifice is when you give up something that really hurts you to give it up. That's when you're sacrificing. So our life then, if we are offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, I give it all. I appreciate Carrie and uh, Cheryl this week. and There was, I don't even think they even told me any boundaries in that house. They didn't set boundaries in that house. We had free reign. I even went in there and I could I fixed my own breakfast. I would open up the refrigerator. I'd get what I wanted out of it. I had, she, she had coffee for me already, but she knew that, Craig. But, you know, I suppose that I could have gone about anywhere in that house that I wanted to go without boundaries. There's no holding back. You know, I believe that's the way we need to allow God in our life, even much more so. If you're reserving certain segments of your life and saying, God, you're out of bounds to be here. This is for me. Then no matter what you do, no matter how big it may seem to a lot of people or how small it may seem to a lot of people, no matter what you do, if you're not giving God free reign in your life and saying, Lord, I'm giving you everything, you're not giving the way Mary did. Another example of reckless giving that is so poignant, the poor widow. Jesus sets over against the treasury, and there were many that day that threw in much, the scripture says. And here comes a poor widow, and she has two mites. And she throws in and casts in her two mites, and Jesus seems to leap to his feet and say, She's given more than all of you. And people couldn't understand it. But we understand it, don't we? 
Because Jesus said she gave from her living. She gave everything. And until you and I start giving the Lord our life and giving everything, we're not giving like Mary gave. And Jesus looks at her and he says, she's wrought a good work on me. It was just an alabaster box of ointment. She's wrought a good work on me. She's anointed me before my death. Leave her alone. I'll take Jesus' verdict. Because I understand by studying this and by looking at Mary's actions, her deed was wrought out of love and it was given out of recklessness because she gave everything. She gave everything and Christ praised her for it. Another character in the Bible that teaches us the recklessness of giving and he is remembered as a hero of faith in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, his name is Jephthah. Jephthah may be a familiar character to the, in the Bible with you and may not be, but Jephthah made a vow to God that he would give the first thing that he saw when he came home from a battle if the Lord would give him victory in this battle. Now, a lot of people a lot of, uh, have been misunderstood, I believe, about what Jephthah gave. Uh, this was not a sacrifice of death that Jephthah gave. God did never, never condoned human sacrifice, never condoned it. He tells in the book of Jeremiah that it, it never entered his mind. So when Jephthah gave his daughter, he gave her to the service of God completely and entirely, which ended his bloodline, which ended his name. She retained her virginity, never married, never had children, served God for the rest of her life. And Jephthah gave it. And it was a huge sacrifice. So much of a sacrifice that this recklessness in giving, of devoting and entirely giving his daughter, he comes as a hero of faith. What are you giving and how are you giving it? Are we giving it out of love? Are we giving it out of recklessness? Are we giving entirely? But there's another attribute of Mary's giving that I want to share with you. And I think it's just as equally important. It's equally important as all of these others. And that is she gave uniquely. Mary did something that she could do. She did something and gave something that she could do. I, I enjoy Martha and Mary a great deal in the story. Martha and Mary, they've had this brother and he's been raised from the dead and they're so appreciative and they love the Lord. There's no question about that. And Martha's in the kitchen. And she's preparing for this meal. And she's fretting and she's, oh, she's cooking. I live with a Martha. I know what they're like. <laughs> and she's in there cooking just as hard as she can go. And she's worried to death. And there's Mary. Mary's not much of a hostess. You know, because you're not much of a hostess don't mean that you can't do something. 
Not everybody is, does have the gift of being a hostess or a host. That's the reason why I believe given to hospitality is a qualification of an elder. You need that, you need that, quali- that, that quality. You've got to have it. It's qualification if you're going to be an elder. So Martha's in there and she's fretting and she's toiling and she comes in there and she tells Jesus, she says, make her do something. Mary's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And this is the part that I like so much because it speaks to me and to you. Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, and it shall not be taken away. One thing is needful. And that's the gift that you can give to the Lord of yourself. The one thing that you have, that's your unique, your unique gift is you can give yourself. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and she worships him. And he's deserving of her worship. And Jesus says, anyone that takes that place, anyone that takes that position at my feet, Mary hath chosen that good part and it shall not be taken away. Mary did what she could, the scripture says. You know, not everybody can do what other people can do. We've got a young man back home, and uh, you know what? He, he doesn't preach a sermon. He, won't even, he, he doesn't want to read a passage. He won't lead a song. He, uh, he kindly panics at that stuff. I can appreciate that. But this is what he does do. Anything that he can. If there is something behind the scene that needs to be taken care of, even if it's emptying the garbage can, he's there. Let me carry off the garbage. I'll take care of it. Let me make sure that the heating and the air is on when it should be. I'll take care of it. I can paint. Let me do what I can do. And the moment that you and I start looking at other people and start deeming and judging their actions as being being valuable simply because they're in the public eye is when we're not understanding the work. The people who work behind the scenes and help us. Oh, Jesus looks at them and says, leave them alone. They can do what they can do. (laughs) Boy, I'm thankful. There's a lot of things that I can't do. A lot of things I'd love to be able to do. But I can't. But I can do what I can. And you can do what you can do. And what God has given you the ability to do. The one talent man. Just go use it. Most of you are more than one talent people. I'm telling you. 
just the very fact that we're born and raised in this country, in the section of this country where we live. We have been handed talents. And we'd better start using them in whatever capacity that we can, in whatever way that we can for the glory and the praise of God. So Mary says, I'll use and I'll do what I can. And since love is eager to service, well, she, she was quick to go. You love somebody? When you really love somebody, you want to help them. And you'll help them in any way that you can. Let your child get sick. You, don't, you want them to be tended to. You let your parents get old and they need to be tended to. You'll tend to them because you love them. Love always seeks to serve. And it will serve in whatever way that it can. We look at our life and maybe we just lack love. And maybe that's why we have such a hard time serving. We can choose to love. Love is a choice. You can decide that you can love your wife. You've made a vow to her. You can love her. You can be true to her. You can be obedient to God's commands. We can love God. We can love his church. Love always seeks to serve. And finally, Mary's deed was considered good, I believe, and proper by the Lord because of its timeliness. You know, a gift given too late just don't seem to work. It's something about it just loses its glory when it's given too late. There wasn't many people that lived on my road when I was a boy, but there was this one boy that did. And his name was Bobby. And Bobby was 12 years old, and his mom and daddy bought him a motorcycle. Bobby got out on that motorcycle, and he pulled out in front of a car. And the car broadsided him. And Bobby died in his mother's arms. on the way to the hospital in the ambulance. At the funeral home, at the funeral home, all the kids that went to school, Bobby, that uh, cared for him and loved him, some that didn't, I'm sure was still there. But many of them would walk up to the coffin and they'd look at Bobby and I noticed that some of them would throw in a piece of paper. They'd written him a note. You know, I've wondered what some of those notes said. They might have said, Bobby, you know, I'm sorry for mistreating you. They might have said, Bobby, you were the best friend that I ever had. They might have said, Bobby, I'm going to miss you. I sure missed him. You know, I could get up and I could stand over that coffin and I could give him a bouquet of flowers or I could give him a note or I could whisper in his ear 
And I could tell him everything that I would want to tell him. But it was too late. Bobby didn't hear anything and he didn't read anything. You approach your life in giving the gift of love toward people or the service and the work of the church. If you approach your life and you wait and you wait and you wait to give your gift of love, you're going to wait too late. Hence, I guess the old saying is, give me my flowers while I'm living. Whoever coined that phrase understood the principle of it. You and I need to show our love toward each other while we're living. You and I need to be preaching the gospel while we're living. After we wait, we won't be able to. If you've got somebody that you need to tell them that you love them, you better tell them now. Don't wait. I suppose all of us have those type of regrets that we've waited too late. Uh, don't wait. And how sad it would be to want to give your life to the Lord, but you wait, and you wait, when if you could give it, it would be too late. We open up our eyes in torment. And remember, gifts are only good. Works are only good if they're done on time. And if you wait too long, you will be unable to give your gift to the Lord. So if you love me, let me know now. If you appreciate the work someone is doing, let them know. If you love your wife, let her know. If you love your husband, let, her, let him know. Let, let people know. Don't wait. Incidentally, this deed that made the name of Mary immortal... Even though that's the case, she was not seeking immortality and her name up in lights. If she had done this deed in order to be remembered, uh, no doubt she would have been forgotten. She's not seeking to be remembered any more than we seek that for ourselves. I'm told that uh, you're only remembered by your family about two generations. That's probably true. Pretty much. But we want to be remembered by the Lord, don't we? And today, you and I, we remember Mary and the deed that she did that was driven from a motive of love, that was a reaction of recklessness in her giving, that was sacrificial in its entirety, and that was timely. For she did it, Jesus says, for my burying. She anointed him for his death while he was still living. This afternoon we're going to offer the invitation.
final of this series of gospel meetings. This invitation for you is to come while it's still yet time. While we are on this side of the grave and eternity and give your life to the Lord if you haven't already. And if you have given your life to the Lord and you have obeyed the gospel of Christ, then my exhortation to you is to remain faithful. Remain faithful to him because he is faithful that is promised. If you're here and you desire the prayers of the church or you need baptism, we beg you to come. Together we stand and sing.